Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you guys today? Are you good? Awesome, awesome, awesome. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. And, you know, I got to just say this. For those of you who are with us for the first time online, or those of you who are here in the room with us for, uh, for the first time on, uh, here, <laughs> not online here, um, we're just so glad, glad you're here. I'm, I'm grateful. Honestly, I'm grateful. And we never, it never gets old for us to have people who would check us out for the first time. And we're humbled by that. So if that's you, thank you so much. And hey, would you guys in the room say hello to all the folks online? Those are our friends, those are our brothers, our sisters. Yeah, welcome. Uh, we're in part three of a series called You're Not Far. And as I said last week, we are borrowing this idea uh, from a pastor named Andy Stanley in Alpharetta, Georgia, uh, just a, a personal uh, hero of mine. And I listened to part of this and I was like, I want to do some of this. And so we're going to do this in two parts, actually. Um, we're going we're to finish today for this part. And then we're going to come back in the fall and finish it again. And next Sunday, I got to just tell you this. I can't tell you everything, but next Sunday is going to be an incredible, incredible start to something brand new. It's going to be an amazing, amazing day. Um, like, I don't care what other days you miss, just don't miss that day. It's going to be amazing. You're just going to have to take my word for it. You don't want to miss that. And so we've been in this series where we're going kind of story by story um, through Mark's gospel. And what we know um, from the gospels that Jesus came almost 2,000 years ago, and here's what he said he came to do. I want to just show you. First of all, he said he came to seek and save. These are his words, not mine. Seek and save those who were, do you remember this? Those who were lost, those who were far from him. He came for them. And then in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we've been reading this all the way through. Here's what he says in Mark 1, 15. Do I have it? Do I have it? Is it on? There we go. There we go. He says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come, say it with me, near. So if it's come near, you're not far, right? The kingdom of God has come near. And what he means by that, he's, he's brought heaven down up there, has come down here. The rule, the reign, the king has come down. And then he says, in response to that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to repent or turn, turn and embrace a new way of life and believe the good news. So what we've been doing is story by story, talking about the fact that the waiting is over, something's been missing, but what's been missing, Jesus says, is now here. What, what they had been waiting for centuries to happen, which was the Messiah to come, is happening now. So everything that's happened in the pagan world, the sort of non-Jewish religious world, everything that's happened in the Jewish world has been all part of the preparation of what God is going to do in this moment when Jesus comes, the time has come. And the idea is that because the kingdom is near, so Jesus' words no one is actually far from him. And we've been talking about what the kingdom looks like and, and how when Jesus came to usher it in, to bring it in, it was so disruptive to the, to the status quo of the culture that he had turned everything upside down. And so here we are, back to it. We're continuing Mark's gospel, which is the story of Jesus of Nazareth as told to us by Simon Peter, who we just called Peter. And it's dictated to us by John Mark Simon, this is now 30 years when he writes this, uh, when Mark writes this, this is 30 years after Jesus has gone away to be in heaven. 
right? He's left the Holy, he sent the Holy Spirit to be the comforter, to be the guide, to be the empowerer. And Peter's been traveling around telling the good news, telling the stories about Jesus, these same stories. And John Mark was following him towards the end of his life. And now he's probably in prison in Rome. Nero has got him there. Nero's no fan of Christians. Peter doesn't know this, but he's not gonna make it out of Rome. So John Mark is furiously taking down the stories. Tell me one more time, Peter. Tell me one more time. So when we read these texts, we're reading the writings of a man who wants to get these stories back out into Galilee, into Capernaum and all the areas there. And then not only there, but to here. And we are, we are the beneficiaries when we get to read this of what happens here. So that's the setup. Now let me go back into where we were. Jesus made a statement one time. As a matter of fact, he's going to make it at the end of Mark's chapter 2, which is what we were studying last week. He's going to make a statement that when he said it was mind-bending to the people who would have heard it, um, particularly the religious elite, the Pharisees, as they called them. And it was going to, turn, it was going to be so disruptive that, that they would seek later on to kill him for statements just like this. Now, when we see this statement that I'm going to read to you, we're like, okay, I've seen that before. I've heard that. That's a cool thing, I'm sure, but I don't get it. Surely you have something else. But we have the benefit of hindsight, and we're just reading. But in the modern, in, 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 in the culture, when Jesus says this, it's like, no way he just said that. So one day he's teaching. This is the last verse of Mark chapter 2, and he says this. He says, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. So, so if you remember the very first story, Genesis chapter one, God creates the heavens and the earth. And it says after he finished all the creations on the seventh day, he, he what, do you remember? He rested and he establishes a pattern that we work six days or we work however your work schedule is, but we set aside, we set aside one day to rest to worship, to ponder, to consider, to slow down. And it's a gift from God to us to make sure that our, our rhythms of life are right. So the people, the religious people would take this idea of Sabbath and they would turn it into something completely different. And so Jesus says, listen, I want you to know the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now you're reading this and you're going, okay, whatever. What else you got? But this was a massive shift culturally for the hearers who would be hearing this for the first time. And the reason that this was is because in first century Judaism and really, really even in modern Judaism now, in some capacity, the Sabbath is everything. And it was always presented as being somehow uh, connected to the holiness of God or, or the otherness of God. Like, like God's reputation is at stake. Like if you don't do this, if you don't rest, if you don't pause, if you don't stop, God's reputation is at stake. He'll be offended. And so you, didn't, you just simply did not violate this commandment. This is, by the way, one of the top 10, the 10 commandments. You guys remember those? This is one of them. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy or set apart. It, it, but, but Jesus comes along and is like, hey guys, you don't actually understand what this is. Like you guys have turned it into something because why he says this is people are criticizing him for doing things on the Sabbath that they didn't do. And so this is a controversy. And he says, listen, listen, listen. The Sabbath, it was made as a gift for you. You weren't created for the Sabbath. Now, Danny, why are you taking time to tell us that? Well, because this is huge and it has such a bearing on the rest of what we study through the, through the book of Mark. Because as it turns out, what was true of the Sabbath, that it was made for man, not, for, not the other way around, is true of the entire law. 
But the religious folks, the religious leaders in that culture, and unfortunately, I, I would argue that even people in our culture, religious people in our culture, even if they don't do it intentionally, often take the words of God and they use them to, to manipulate people in a way that Jesus never intended. And so let me say it a different way because I can see that you're going, what are you talking about, bro? Okay, all right. So let me say it like this. Nobody has children so that there will be someone to play with the toys. Right? Like when you guys got married or if you're married or when you get married someday, you don't go out and immediately buy a lot of toys and put them in a room and go, well, now what are we going to do with all these toys? There's nobody to play with the toys. We might as well make a baby so there'll be somebody to play with the toys, right? Nobody does this. You guys with me so far? No, the toys are for the benefit of the children, not the other way around. Does that make sense, everybody? Now, now just to be clear, I'm not saying that God's law, the, the laws of God and toys are the same thing. I'm not making them, all right? Just for the record, that man said that toys and God's law are the same thing. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Just an analogy. Everybody with me, right? So, so back to Jesus's point. L let me put it a different way. This is huge. In fact, this may be hard for some of us, depending on how you were raised, if you were raised in a certain, kind of, certain kinds of churches, it may be hard for you to believe that God did not create us he did not bring mankind into the world so he would have someone to keep his rules, okay? His commands are for people because God is for people and specifically God is for you. You, you have to know this. You have to believe this. So, so if there's a rule, if there's a law, God created it for you and for your benefit. The law, and I'm talking about the Mosaic law, which is part of the Old Testament. It was meant, uh, Paul would come along later and say it was meant to teach us like a, like a tutor. And part of what it was to teach us is that we couldn't keep it and therefore we needed something else. We needed a savior because people couldn't live up to the standards of the law. So Jesus came in place of the laws, fulfilled the laws, and now we trust him to save us, not the law. Everybody with me so far? Amen, somebody? Come on, right? And, and so when, when Jesus dives into this, this, this Sabbath, uh, you know, tension here, it, it creates more tension and it, and it stirs things up to the extent that he'll be arrested and he'll be crucified later on because he wouldn't play along with the religious people and how they had twisted his father's words. Now, God had a plan all along to, to, to have this happen, but these people played out God's plan because they couldn't stand what Jesus was doing right here, that he was putting people, he was putting people that he'd come to die for, he's putting them ahead of some of their traditions and their laws. So, so last week, I wanna go, that's, that's the setup, right? Everybody with me now? We're, we're caught up. Last week when we finished, in part two of our series, we stopped at, I don't know, the other, the other crowd thought it was funny. Anyways, <laughs> we left, Jesus has, has, has called uh, John and James and Peter and Andrew, and now he's going to add a fifth disciple. He's going to end up with 12, but at this point he has four. We left off with him tapping a tax collector on the shoulder named Levi and said, hey, Levi, follow me. And if you remember this, the tax collectors were the worst of the worst. Like, like I think there was a movie called You're the Worst or a song or something like that. Th they were the worst. So they were collaborating with Rome, the Roman Empire, which had come and, and taken over everybody. They're collaborating with them. They're collaborating with a local Jewish governor um, to rip off their own people. And so he, Levi's the worst. And Peter and the other three disciples are like, dude, we just started on this journey with you, Jesus, but you're already taking this off the rail. Don't pick Levi, anybody but Levi. They knew Levi. They, he had collected their taxes, I'm sure. And this is a small area. And then Levi's like, okay, 
I'll follow you. Where are we going? Right? And from the falling of Jesus, of Levi, there's a gap, but we don't get to know what the gap, but Peter doesn't tell us what's happening, so I'm just going to fill us in. So he's like, where are we going? And Jesus is like, what if we went to your house? And what if you, we used all that money that you've stolen from all of us, and we buy ourselves a big fat meal that you cook for us and give us, right? Come on, anybody with me on that? And so apparently Levi's like, okay, you know, I'll, we'll go. And, and then Peter and Andrew and James and John are like, oh, this is getting worse by the moment. We should not be going to this dude's house. We should not have called him. We should not be going to his house. And then here's what the text says, Mark 2. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, so he's called him and then immediately, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So here's what I want you to understand here. So when Jesus taps Levi on the shoulder and says, hey, won't you follow us? There's other people that are following around and going, no way he just did that. And so when they go to Levi's house, they're like, dude, we gotta go see what's gonna happen here because this is a trip. Nobody should do this, right? So there's many people who follow them and not all of them go into the party, this Matthew party, we call it, but there's many of them looking out, look, looking in. They're on the outside looking in, including the religious people, all right? So it's bad enough that Jesus is called Levi, who we call Matthew now, a tax collector. That's real bad, but now it's, he's made it worse by having a, he's gone into the man's house and by the way, Jesus would do this again with a guy named Zacchaeus, another tax collector. He would go into his house and going into, into a house and sitting at a table or reclining at a table as Jesus does is a symbolic uh, a gesture of acceptance. Like, hey, this is my guy. I like this guy. These are small fishing villages. They're all jammed together. I showed you last week in the, in the map. Everybody knows what's everybody's business. And, and so you add to the fact that now tax collectors and to use Jesus's word, sinners are eating with him this is, this is incredibly disruptive. I, I don't know if you've ever considered this before. If, if you read the Bible, if you've read the Gospels, it seems like everywhere Jesus goes, who else is there? Not just his followers, but there's always Pharisees. You ever notice this? They're always there. It's like, don't y'all have a job? Shouldn't you be teaching somebody something? Shouldn't you be handing out money or food to the poor? What's your job, man? Why are you always here? Well, here's the, here's the answer. We read last week in Mark 2 and, and chapter 1 that the news about Jesus, because he's healing people, he's healed a lame man, he's healed a leper, he's, healed, um, he's even healed Peter's mother-in-law, right? Which would, is the reason why Jesus would later on, uh, uh, Peter would later on, he would, he, would dis, he, would, um, he would deny Jesus because he's like, you heal my mother-in-law, I'm going to deny you later on down the road. <laughs> terrible, terrible joke. Somebody told me that joke the other day, where are you at? And I was like, I'll tell that at some point. So when you leave here, this is the joke. G Peter denied Jesus because P Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Anyways, it's not really why, but it's a good joke. All right. So his, his fame is spread. His name is spread. Now, Galilee's up here. Jerusalem's way down here. The Jordan River's here. The Sea of Galilee's here. The Dead Sea's down here. And news about Jesus was so profound that it had made its way all the way down to Jerusalem where the temple was, where all these Pharisees and religious people lived and did their business. And the words come down there and they're like, what's going on up in Capernaum? Hey, six or seven of you, why don't you guys go up there and follow this guy around and see what's going down? So that's what they do. 
That's why whenever you see Jesus teaching, there was religious leaders there. They're shadowing him. They're following him around, trying to catch him, trying to trip him up. And so they follow Levi, Jesus's little posse, all the way to Levi's house, but they don't cross the threshold and go sit down with him because to do so in the oral tradition would have been for them to be ceremonially, ceremonially, that's hard for me to say, unclean. So here's what happens. Next verse. So when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples. So here's what I want you to know. They're like, Psst, John, Peter, come out here, come out here. We can't go in there, come out here, right? So, so apparently they go out there and they're like, hey man, why does your guy eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now there's two implications here. Number one is, well, why didn't he ever eat with us? Like, we would love to talk to him. We can't have a meal with him. Like, we can't even get coffee with that brother. We, we invited him to Summer Moon the other day. He wouldn't even come. We got questions. By the way, Summer Moon, y'all, it's right down in the corner. I'm just telling you. They got something called Moon Milk. It's better than Starbucks. Anyways, I'm just, I'm not sponsored by anybody, all right? Just telling you it's there. So number one, why didn't he eat with us? The second implication is then why does he eat with these people? We don't, we, he's a rabbi. He's saying he's a rabbi. We're rabbis. We don't eat with the rabble. The rabbi don't eat with the rabble. Scrabble. I don't know. It's, it feels like a rap song or something. But, but, it, but in a form that's true of him, he doesn't back down. Matter of fact, he doubles down. And here's what he says on hearing this. Jesus says, I don't have this memorized. There we go. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the Say this with me, the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, right? Remember, Mark's gospel, we're getting these stories. All of them are not just stories. They're painting a bigger picture. They're helping us understand a bigger principle. It's not, a do they don't, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, now, I want you to think about Levi and all of his, like, remember the show, The Office? Imagine all of them are tax collectors and they all leave and they go with Jesus to, to, to what's his name? Steve Carell's name, whatever his name is. They go to his house, right, Michael, right? They go to his house and they're all sitting there and they're like, Jesus, who's this dude, man? And, and Matt, Levi, who's this guy? He's like, dude, I don't know. He called me. Or he said, let's go to your house and have a meal. I left, I called, I, I went. And now they're like, wait, wait a minute. You called us? Jesus, and now I think it feels like you're calling us sick, right? And it feels like you're calling us sinners. And Jesus is like, don't take offense, man. You ever have anybody tell you, hey, no offense, but I'm going to offend you hard right now, right? Come on, you know what I'm saying? No offense, but, you know. And Jesus is like, no offense, but you're sick. And maybe they kind of looked at each other and suddenly they realized who they are. And they realize what they've been up to, ripping people off. And somehow they're like, eh, it's not offensive, it's true. Somehow because of how the story unfolds, Levi is ready to acknowledge his sickness. Remember, all he's done at this point is just leave his tax booth and follow Jesus to his own house. There's been no transformation yet. He's ready to acknowledge his sinfulness. He's ready to acknowledge what he's been up to. And I just want to stop for a moment and consider that, that idea. So here we have Levi, who a few hours earlier, maybe, we don't know how long it was between the time he called and the time they end up at his house, but maybe it's a few hours before he's just ripping off his own people and he's, he's the worst. He knows that he's the worst. He knows now that he's separated from the family of God and he's doing it anyway. So what that means is Levi is never going to be heard from again. Once Levi passes from this life, 
because he's a shame to his family, to his people, because he's an embarrassment to the, his own culture, his community. No one will ever remember him again. Nobody's going to write anything about Levi. Levi is a nobody in this moment, and he's sitting here in his own home, probably a very nice home because he's probably got a lot of money from ripping people off. He's here in Capernaum, and he's considering whether or not, and is that true of me? Is that who I am? And what do I do about that? Am I going to give my heart to Jesus? Am I going to do, am I going to follow this man? Th think about what hung in the balance of his decision to open up his heart, his life, his mind, and acknowledge, you know what? I am sick. I am a sinner. Th think, think about what hangs in the balance because he will go on because he's going to make the decision to follow Jesus. He's going to go on and, and his life is going to radically shift from a person who takes from people to one who gives good news to people and life. And God will use him to heal people and drive out evil spirits from people. And he will travel the world and one day one of the gospels will bear his name. But in this moment, he's faced with a decision. Follow Jesus or just keep doing the same thing I've always done. L let me ask you, and then we're gonna continue with the story. Do you know what hangs in the balance of your decision to admit that I'm kind of like Levi? I need some help, that I might need forgiveness, that I might need a savior, that there perhaps there's something, if I'm honest, is wrong in my own life, that I might need some help, that I can't get from human beings, I need something bigger. Maybe you're like Levi and you've been given an opportunity, you've been given an invitation, maybe you've been nudged by some, a song or by some words or by the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God and you didn't even know it. And, and do you know what hangs in the balance of your decision to acknowledge your need for Jesus and to say yes? I'll just give you a glimpse, just a glimpse. Freedom from your hurts and your habits and your hangups that all of us have, all of us, me, for sure, at the top of the list. Forgiveness, like forgiveness of all of the things that have ever happened, which will lead to a peace that the Bible says surpasses all ability for human beings to comprehend, like that kind of peace. And then this different level of relating to other people that you don't have now, this capacity that you don't have now. And furthermore, the best news ever is to have this right relationship with the God of the universe. That's what hangs in the balance and you never know it until you say yes. And I just want you to know this because whether it's today or whether it's some other day, every single day of your life, every single day of your life, there is an open invitation from your Savior to follow him into that kind of freedom, into that kind of new life. And you never know what you miss. You never know what you miss until you say yes. I'll turn and follow Jesus. And this is the decision that Matthew and his buddies have to make. So back to the story on hearing this, Jesus says, I haven't come to call or to invite or to summon or to reach out to the righteous. I've only come to call the sinners. Now, Peter and James and John at first are like, yeah, yeah, you guys are sinners because they don't like Levi. They don't like tax collectors. You guys are in their minds like, yeah, right on, lay it heavy on them, Jesus. Lay it heavy on them. You haven't come to call the, 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 the healthy. You've come to call the sick and the sinners. Hey, John, he called us too. Oh, 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 that means we're, 
he thinks we're sinners too, right? Double the offense. And what Jesus didn't say, but what he could have said is, I've never ever met a righteous person. And what Paul would go on and say in Romans chapter three, verse 10 is, no one is righteous, not one. And Jesus says, I've come to call everybody to this new way of life. So I wanna get clear on something that's happening here because it's so important to the big picture. See, when Jesus is having this conversation with these guys here, when he's doing all the things that he's done, in this, in this era, there was no such thing as evangelism. Like those of you who know that word evangelism, it's like, okay, I've believed the gospel, Jesus has changed my life, and now it's my job to go out and tell somebody else. You can't believe what Jesus did. I was lost, now I'm found, I was blind, now I see. You need to come and see, come and see. That's evangelism. But in this era, there's no such thing. Like if you were a pagan, nobody was trying to pull you out of paganism. If you were Jewish, nobody was trying to get you to, to, to come to their thing. Like nobody ever called anybody to anything. What they would do, instead of leaving something, they would just add something to their thing. Right? I, I, you got to catch this. They would just add something to the thing that they already had. So then Jesus comes along and says, uh, matter of fact, let me back up just a second. Th this is why if you read Acts chapter 17, which by the way, please do so. When, when Paul it comes walking up into, into Athens in Greece, right, at, at a time, he's walking up there, he's taking the message of Jesus everywhere he goes. He comes to Athens and he says, and when I walked in, I saw all of these idols, just one after another, just one little God after another. I got to the end of the line and there was this one idol called to the unknown God. Something about that one, different than the rest of them. But what, what, what Paul is demonstrating for us is that when somebody would get a, they would have a collection of idols like, hey, in our country, in my family, we have these idols. These are our gods. But then Paul would go on and, and, and he would talk at, at this place called the Areopagus. And this is where all the philosophers of the day would come and they would share, the Bible says they would share all the newest ideas. And so somebody would be like, oh, oh, in your culture, you guys have a, a God of fertility? Like my wife and I were having a struggle with this. I'm gonna get your little fertility God. I'm gonna add it to my God's. Oh, you guys have a, a, a God to the law of the harvest of the harvest? Like, like our farm stinks right now. I'm gonna add that God to my collection of God. Nobody left anything. They would just add to it. And that's what Paul sees when he walks into Athens. Does that make sense? People, just, people didn't leave. They would just add. And so then Jesus comes along and says, I'm inviting you. I'm calling you. And what he's calling them to, to do is to leave something. Like I'm inviting you to abandon something. I'm inviting you to embrace something brand new. Leave behind your old ways and try something brand new. I'm inviting you, I'm calling you, I'm reaching out to you, Matthew, and all of your followers, all your friends. I'm reaching out to you to leave behind something. Now this is important because we live in a time where we think it's okay to just sort of keep doing the same old things and just add a little bit of Jesus to the mix. Add a little faith to what we're already doing and blend it. But Jesus does not say that at all. He's come to call us to something brand new. And, and we'll find out here in just a second that you can't just add him to the mix. You gotta leave behind some stuff. And the reason Jesus invites Levi in and, and Peter and Andrew and James and John and, 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 and the reason that his invitation then extends to all of us is because the time has come. That's what he said in the beginning of verse 15. The time has come. The wait is over. All the other religions, all of the pagan religions and all of the religions and cults of the world, including Judaism, all of them are pointing to a time when God will reveal himself in Jesus in such a way that Jesus would invite the entire world to come, leave something behind and follow him. Listen, 
leave something behind and follow him. It's a brand new kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom of the heart. It's a kingdom of the mind, of the conscience. The kingdom of God, he says, has come near, which means that you, no matter how far away you think you are, you are never far from God. You are just one turn away, one decision away, one shift in mindset away, because he's close. So, so Paul picks up on this in Acts 17. He does this exact same thing that Jesus is doing here. He, he says to, in, in the Areopagus, he's in this convention center, this place where ideas comes and he preaches this incredible sermon, like the prize of all, this, he, he wins the prize for all times. And he, he gets to the end of his sermon. He says, I wanna tell you about this unknown God, this one that you think you don't know. Let me tell you, this is the true, the living God. And, and he goes on and talks about how he, in, in him we live and we move and we have our being. And then he gets to the end of it and he says, listen, 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 God did this. God did this. He arranged people wherever they are in the world and the cultures and the tribes and in the, in the kingdoms that they live in. He said, God did this so that they would seek him. And perhaps this is the decision Levi has to make and perhaps reach out for him and find him. That, that's the promise that, that Levi, if you'll reach out, you'll find him because he is not far from any one of us. Wow. So this is what Paul is doing. He's doing exactly what Jesus does. Turn, listen, believe the good news. Turn and believe the good news. And this was revolutionary that Jesus would reach for sinners and for the unrighteous to follow, leave behind your life, follow me, because no one had ever pursued any of them before. They were rejected. They were in the margins. They had been forgotten. And Jesus has come specifically to reach for them. No way to over, overstate how new all of this was. So this is why, this kind of thing is, the why, is why the Pharisees who had come down to check up on him go back and tell them, we gotta do something about this. We gotta get rid of this guy because of stuff like this. And so Peter goes on and tells us some more and they leave Levi's house. And then Jesus is gonna tell us why you can't just take a little bit of him and mix it with what you got. Here's what he says. This is one of his favorite metaphors, by the way. Verse 21, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, right? Otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? When you get a new pair of jeans and you wear it for three or four times and then you got to put it in the washer and the dryer because by now it stinks. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. And, and then when you go to put it back on, what happens, y'all? Come on, what happens? It's like, dear God, what happened to these jeans? And the ladies are on the bed, you know, trying to wrestle themselves into them and dudes are like, I give up. And they just put on baggy shorts. Come on, dudes, right? This is what we do. Like, Psh, I ain't wearing that. Right? And, and, and so, because it shrunk, or either shrunk or you grew. That's the only two options, right? My testimony is that I grew. Come on, somebody. I grew because I, I like to eat food. And so, he's like, listen, he's telling these people this. You don't, you don't take old cloth and put it on something new or a new piece of cloth, right, that's not been shrunk yet, right? You, 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 you can't do that. Like, like, I don't know if you guys know this, but when I was a kid, some of you are too young to know this, back when I was a kid, my mom would hand me down clothes. Y'all don't know about hand-me-downs, do y'all? Y'all don't know about that. This is back in the old days, right? And I was the youngest of three boys. There was four of us, but I was the youngest of three boys. And so, and they were five and six years older to me, older than me. So by the time it came to me, it wasn't even in style anymore. And y'all don't know about this either, but we had these things called tough skin jeans. That was the brand. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This was from Sears. 
And, and, and the whole idea was not comfort, not utility. It was just survive the horrors of being worn by a young boy. Come on, all right? So it was all rigid and stiff and horrible. And then they sewed patches into the knee on the inside where they would chafe your knees, where when you wore shorts, you'd be like, I got this from praying so much on my knees. Does anybody, know, does anybody know tough skins, right? And so by the time they got to me, they would have a hole in them. And so my mother would not throw them away. Here, here's what you also don't remember. She would take somebody else's jeans and make cutoffs out of them, right? Strings hanging down, all nasty. They won't even let you in the pool. You can't wear those in the pool. Your strings will clog up the thing. This is, this is true, right? And she would take the part that was left and she would use those for patches on my jeans, What was I talking about again? <laughs> oh yeah. Jesus has come to make sure they understand you can't take the new thing I'm bringing you and just jam it on your old thing. It, it'll tear away. And, like, and he's like, furthermore, it's just not the clothes because the clothes were expensive. They would never throw them away. In fact, they would save them even when nobody was wearing them so they would have a patch when something broke or when something tore. And he says, in the same way, you would never take new wine and put it in an old wineskin because the old wineskin is brittle now. It's stretched. And so if you put new wine in, it's just gonna burst and it's all gonna go all over the ground. And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah. So what's your point? And Jesus is like, let me tell you something. This is a brand new thing. This is a brand new, unique worldview. And it's like the new wine. It's like the unshrunk, the, the new cloth and, and the mental image of a torn cloth and, 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 and a burst wine skin, skin just sort of punctuates for the listeners who in this time know exactly what he means. It punctuates the impossibility of trying to blend Jesus's new teachings with the current cultural system that they're part of, which is first century Judaism. He said, I've not come to blend anything. I've come to change all of it. I'm creating a brand new movement, uh, uh, what he would go on and call an ecclesia, like a, a, which we would call the church now. I'm come to create a brand new container. I'm gonna do away with the old temple system and the sacrificial systems that all of you guys know. I'm bringing something brand new, which is gonna be so much better for you. And there are gonna be people that are listening to me right now. They're gonna try to hold you back and try to pin you down. And they're gonna try to hang heavy weights on you. And I'm coming to tell you, I've come to set you free from that. And, and you're gonna be part of something I'm going to call the church. And he would go on and say, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. I don't care what the world comes up with, what culture comes with. They will not prevail against the church of the living God. Amen. Will not happen. So when you and I are in this local assembly, this is just part of the church. This is not, it's not just about life point. It's, 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 the, it's the global church, which is in every part of the world. We're part of that. We're the framework. We're the container that Jesus came to institute. One, one last story, and then we'll shut it down. I promise. Remember, just story up. We're just going through the stories. Peter's a storyteller, but he picks certain stories that when we read them should go, hey, I know, I know people told you that God was this way, that God was that way, the church that you grew up in, maybe you, were, you heard that it was like this, and, and you were like, I don't even know how to do that, and so you left church, and you left the faith, and you turned your back on God, and Jesus wants to come along through, through the writers of this, uh, the Holy Spirit's inspiring them and go, I wanna set the record straight about who God is. I'm gonna use these stories, I'm gonna use these miracles, I'm gonna teach these lessons so that you will know in spite of what people have told you, this is who I am. So Jesus is back in a synagogue 
Synagogue is like a local expression of the temple down in Jerusalem. And so people would go here because Jerusalem six or seven days by, by, by walking down there. And so he comes into this the synagogue on the, on the Sabbath to, to, to hear the word, to maybe even teach it. And there's a man there. Jesus sees this man there. Peter sees the man there. And the man has a shriveled hand. That's the words that Peter uses. And so maybe he's injured it when he was a child. Maybe he was born that way. Maybe something's missing. Maybe he, he broke it when he was working on something one day and there was nobody to set the bones right. And so it's shriveled, it's atrophied. And so now it's a shame to him. It's an embarrassment. He probably hides it. And so he's in there. But Jesus saw this. And Jesus is not the only one who sees this because here's the verse says in verse 2. So some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely, Jesus, to see if he would heal him, this man with the shriveled hand on the Sabbath. These people want to hang on to their power base so much. They want to hang on to their traditions, which they had used to separate themselves from the common folk. They wanted, to do, they, they wanted this so badly that they would look for ways to trap Jesus, to accuse him, to get rid of him for doing a really, really awesome thing. Something that, by the way, they could have never done. Heal this man. Think about that. So they want to see if Jesus will heal this guy on the Sabbath because their first century application of the law, the law of Moses, would have said, you can't help him. Not today. If he were drowning, you could help him get out. If he were hanging off of a cliff and about to die, you could help him out. But if he just needed medical attention because he was suffering, because he needed care, you can't do it on the Sabbath. That would be their tradition. But here's what Jesus did. Verse three, Jesus says to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Is that what that's? Mark's gotta be going, Peter, are you sure we should say it like that? Dude's embarrassed of his hand. He's got it hidden in his cloth. Maybe he's got it stuck inside of his thing. He doesn't want anybody to know. You, you, you mean Jesus stood him up in front of everybody? Yeah. So, so like, imagine if I just called one of you up here right now. Hey, yeah, 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 you, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on up here, come on up here, stand up here. And you're like, dear God, no, man, don't do it, right? This is what's happening. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you that's exactly what Jesus does. Come up here, man. Come up here and stand right here. What's happening? Why is he doing this? And then Jesus turns to the audience gathered for the Sabbath. They're at church, they're, they're kind of church. And he looks at them, especially at the Pharisees who had been shadowing him for a while now. And here's what he says to them. Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? Remember, this is another Sabbath controversy like we started with. To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But, but they remained it's a trick question, and they know it is. They've been trying to trick him with their questions all the way through, and now he's turned the tables on them, and they know if we answer this way, we're going to look bad. If we answer that way, we're going to look bad. Here's his real question. What was God's purpose for giving the law in the first place? What was God's purpose in giving us the law? You're, you're, you're trying to use the law to stop me from helping somebody. What was the point in the first place? Is, is our only mission in life is just to preserve and honor the rules or is it something else? What's he getting at? And what he's getting at is this. It goes back to that first verse that I read in the opener, that the verse that comes actually right before this story, right before this story. He's illustrating what he just taught. The Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. The question is, is the law of God just for the benefit of God or is it the benefit of the people that God loves? 
it's important to know the answer to this question because if it's for the benefit of the people that God loves and people take precedent over the law, somebody needs help, somebody needs healing, we're gonna heal them. Children aren't for the toys, the toys are for the children. You with me? So we ask them this question. Hey, what's permissible on the Sabbath to do good to, or to do evil? Would it be okay if I did some evil stuff? Would it be okay if I killed this guy? And Mark's like, well, what did they say, Peter? Peter's like, they didn't say anything. Because if they answered out loud, they're gonna be accountable for their own words. Danny, why are, bro, why are you taking so much time to just keep pounding these same ideas over and over again, story after story after story? Well, I'm doing this because that's exactly what the Bible does. We're just going through the stories to see the heart of God, to see the, the mission of Jesus. People have turned away for centuries from, from church, from the Bible, because how people, even well-meaning people, have used the Bible to hurt people, to twist. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to make sure that everybody knows I came to help people. So how does Jesus respond to their silence? Verse 5, he turned to them. He turned to them in anger and deeply distressed at their, at their stubborn hearts, their religious hearts. And he says to the man, stretch out your hand. So the guy takes his hand out and his hand was completely restored. Just like the leper we read about last week, just like the leper who was completely healed and whole, just like the paralyzed man who didn't just leave with a healing, he left completely whole. In other words, they were able to get their life back. And what God wants for you is to give you your life back. Not, not, not the life that you think you want, but the life that Ephesians 2.10 says that long ages ago, God created for your good, that you would walk in them, that you would walk the life, the life that he planned for you. He wants to restore it back because the choices that we make and the sins that we've sinned and the things that have happened to us and the, and the way the enemy has used to try to seek to kill, steal, and destroy us. We're coming to Jesus now and he's like, I just want to give you your life back. I'm going to restore you in the same way that the father restores the prodigal son who's gone off and wasted it all. He gives him his sonship back. He restores him to his original design. That's what he does for this man here. But why is he angry? Why is he so deeply distressed? Because religious people had used his own father's words and had interpreted them in such a way that they hurt the people that God most wanted to help. And people have been doing that honestly ever since. And then this insane response by the Pharisees in verse six, then the Pharisees went out after this healing and began to plot with the Herodians, this is Hellenistic Jews, who are fans of, the, of Herod, the king of the time, how they might, what? Kill Jesus. Wait, what? You, you guys want to murder this good man, this rabbi, because he healed a guy on the Sabbath? For us, it's like, that's insanity. But they understood, that the, 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 the Pharisees understood what we often miss when we read these stories as there was no way to blend their old ways 
with his new ways. They can see clearly that if he's allowed to keep doing what he's doing, then they're done for. And so they are so desperate to hang on to their power, so desperate to hang on to their traditions that they take him out. But before we go, two quick takeaways. This is so important. If you're like Levi, who Jesus called a sinner, if you're like I am, who Jesus would have called a sinner, the the first takeaway is for you, you are invited to follow Jesus. Wherever you are, whatever is going on in your life, whenever, whenever you want to start, whenever that is, if you are somebody who is willing to acknowledge like Levi did, you know what, something is in fact wrong with me. I am sick in a way. I do need some help. I, I can't dig myself out of my own hole. I can't, I can't be the husband I swore. I promised that I'd be. I can't be the wife that I promised to be. I can't be the parent that I, I, I want to be. I can't, I can't show the respect to my parents I know they deserve. I can't stop saying things that I don't want to say. I, I need help. If that's you, the invitation is wide open to you. If you lived in the first century, I would tell you how it would go down. If you were you right now, but you lived in the first century with whatever it is that you've got going on in your life, whatever baggage, whatever hurt, whatever hangups, Jesus would have sought you out personally. He would have come to you and said, hey, he would have tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, follow me. Come on, let's go for a walk. And then he would have taken you to, to, to your house, just like he did Levi, And he would have walked in there and you would have been uncomfortable with what he found inside your house, but he would not have been uncomfortable with it. He would not have been. And he would have been comfortable with you until you became comfortable with him. That's what we see modeled in the story. He just went to their house. He didn't say, hey, change everything. He just went to their house and he was comfortable with them. And one day they became comfortable with him to the extent they would say, I will follow Jesus. Second thing is if you're a follower already, you would say, yeah, Danny, I'm a believer. I'm a a Christian. Second thing is yield to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. And here's why. When your will bumps up against his will, say yes to Jesus. Because we live in a time, we live in a culture where we think, hey, I can live however I want and just go, hey, but I got Jesus in my back pocket. And Jesus would say, no, I have some commands too. And they're not burdensome to you, but when, when and, and inevitably they will, whenever my will collides with your will, I want you to step back and go, Jesus, I yield to right away to you. What do you want me to do? And he will tell you the same thing he would tell to the first person, the, the first kind of person, turn and follow me. Yeah, but Danny, it's like you talk about grace and you talk about, yeah, 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 grace is there. But when your way of living life, Christian, believer, will inevitably bump up in the way, into the will of God, when your will bumps up to his will, here's your response. I yield. I yield the right away. What would you have me do, Jesus? See, we say this all the time. This is an Andy Stanley saying, but I love it. I'm gonna say it too. We say, following Jesus will make your life better and it will make you better at life. So this isn't just a call to, hey, I'm gonna raise my hand at the end of a service. This is a call to a whole new way of life. This isn't a call to saying, I'm gonna take a little bit of Jesus and blend it with my old thing. No, 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 no. That never works. You don't take a new cloth and put it on an old thing. You don't put new wine in an old thing. It doesn't work. 
listen to me, there's going to be a lot of people, I think, I fear, they're going to see Jesus one day and they say, hey, we're good the whole time. And he's going to be like, I don't really know who you are. Because when my will collided with your will, you were like, nah, I'm going to go my own way. I got to tell you. I got to tell you that. So your next right step, and, and this, is, this is true for me, true for me above all of you, when my way bumps into Jesus' way, I'm going to say, yes, God, I'll change. Does that make sense, everybody? Can I pray for you? Because I know that's a hard thing to say. Can I pray for you, Father? Thank you so much. Um for these stories that, that happened. They're real stories that happened that Peter was an eyewitness to, that he told John Mark. John Mark wrote them down. We get to read them now. But every one of these stories are just a reminder of your heart for us. Your willingness to do whatever it takes to reach us, to call us, to reach out to us. You didn't come for the sick. It's not the sick who need a doctor. You didn't, you didn't call the righteous, so-called people who are, are righteous by the, the, the good things they do. You came to call sinners. Paul would say, I'm chief of them. You came for us. You didn't come to, to, to wear us out. You actually said in Matthew, to come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden. I think as much as anything, he was talking to religious people, coming to me who you're weary and heavy laden by the burdens of religion. Come and bring it to me. Take my yoke upon you. Take my law. Take my rules upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. God, so I pray for people who don't yet know Jesus, but maybe today, maybe today's the day, the nudge, the gentle nudge that you've been doing, the knock on their door, they're opening it up and inviting you in so they could just pray in their own way. Lord, I see you coming. I see that your kingdom has come. I feel far from you, God. Honestly, I feel so far away. But as it turns out, Paul said, if I'd reach out even just a little bit, actually, you're close. That I could find you. That I could come to know you. That I could turn and leave behind this life in favor of a new and better life. That the net result of that is that I become a new creation in Christ and, and I can express that through baptism today even. I choose you, Lord. Be the forgiver of my sins, the healer of my broken places. I follow you. I, I choose you. I'm turning and I'm embracing you, this new way of life. I'm leaving it behind. Thank you for people who did that today, Lord, at home in the room. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are believers, but honestly, we're trying to blend the new and the old. And you've come to say, it's never going to work. I want all of you. So Lord, I'm praying for all of us, that's me, that we would just yield to you, that we'd give the right away to you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said a good amen. A good amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a hand, would you? Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.